I really did. I really did. Worked hard, but you know, it is what it is. No employment for men. Yeah. Yeah. South Africa, you must be grateful that you have a job because the experience but the African National Congress, uh, the governing party in South Africa, had its uh, sitting, I guess, of its highest decision-making body in between conferences, and that's the NEC. Uh, and uh, yeah, strong message coming out there, which I found quite interesting, uh, is that uh, I guess the gauntlet now has been thrown down on the government to go find a way to implement some form of basic income support. I don't know in what shape or form it will come, but what do you make of this one? Uh, well, it's been in the works for a very, very, very long time, and I think um, I think where we're sitting, if you look at where the fiscus is sitting, you have to introduce the wealth tax. There's no other way to pay for it. I honestly don't see any other way to pay for it. I don't see any other way to pay for it. You may prove me wrong, but I just don't see it. I don't see the model. So I think sometimes what I, I dislike about the ruling party is how conference decisions are made with the same people in the room as what you would need to implement from a government. Mm. They're not external from each other. This is it. By saying government must implement it, some unknown first. No, guys, you must just speak to Mab Enoch, who's there already. You've got zero, like everybody is there already. But, but, but do you get a sense that I guess there's broad agreement? I mean, you mentioned the finance minister, uh, and I remember one of the reports that came out a few weeks ago, probably around three months or so, uh, just after he'd come into the role, was around his support for uh, you know, employment rather than grants. And I was like, okay, well. I mean, if, if many of the people who were receiving the grant had a chance to work, they would definitely opt for that one. So I guess that one's neither here nor there. But there's this sense that there isn't um, unanimity within the government and even, I guess, within the ANC uh, around this particular issue. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's neither, neither, neither here nor there. I honestly think there needs to be some unanimity. I also read that he wasn't into it, so... But, and that's why we collapsed to even say anything compared to his candidate's ways, but as a collapse. Like, I just don't understand where you'd find it. But the reality is that you have a high unemployment, structural unemployment problem that cannot be solved anywhere within the next 25 years, and people cannot go hungry for 25 years. Mm, so ultimately, mm. you have to people. You need to create a social society. The increase in the grant has other income benefits that people don't look at, in that it does drive consumption. Consumption, a little bit of a lesson, but generally consumption in and there's repatriation through that and others. But fundamentally, that's where you are. I, I, I. I I struggle to um, understand why there's a debate on this when we all know it is the most practical option. If it, it is the most practical option. So I never understand what, what the debate is because you basically have a choice. Mm. Well, look, I mean, Stesipo, I guess foundationally, uh, the bone of the differences or the root of the differences might be coming either from interests or people's own understanding, I guess, of how, how the economy functions. I mean, just, you know, thinking about this issue, there's a very interesting uh, economist, and I, may, I must maybe on my timeline share a link to that paper, you know, um, and he speaks about this idea of the political aspects of full employment. And he says, you know, 
big business in many instances has no big interest in you know creating full employment via public works or even subsidizing uh, household consumption uh, because of i guess their own understanding of what role the government should play in the economy and i guess what role uh, the private sector should play in employment but maybe just a last one before we let this one go what what, what has been your assessment of some of the debates that have also happened in the public i must add uh, if you look at uh, what comes out of many of the sunday papers on this particular score what has been, I guess, your, your assessment of uh, the different strands of the debate? On the one end, opposing income support measures, and then on the other, I guess, uh, a very vociferous and strong support for it. So, what for me, the debate goes following against it. I think sometimes we don't want to name things in the fear of not being... Um, people don't want to name things. When you say no to basic income growth, mm. you are saying that you have no empathy and that you believe in full employment. Full employment in its current form and structure theoretically is not achievable in the African context. So you believe a false dichotomy in order, and it, it, it goes down to the word that they use, entitlement. Mm. Entitlement to have bread. A basic income grant is not buying anyone sushi. It is, remember back in the day, not even back in the day, when we were growing up, I would say past 10, 15 years, there was this school of thought that the child support grant, people were falling pregnant to get the child support grant. I mean, People Johnny. spent millions and millions of rands researching, disproving this, but people still had the audacity, yeah. I don't know, the training. And it's the same level of the giving. You see, that's why I say you need to not be afraid to name it for what it actually is. Mm. Hey. Which is in its fundamental root basis is racism, mm, 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 mm. and it's and it specifically because we all know who the 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 the, 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 the grant will go to. We all know the demographics of who would go to. So without people want to struggle to articulate it. Now those who are proponents of it, and I consider them myself being one of them. I'm not an economist, sure. but you know. There are one or two who happen to agree. For me, always agree because we're practical. If people are hungry, they are dangerous. We saw what happened in July. Mm. You have to do it. We are practical. It's not. It's literally based based on practicality. You have to create a social safety net because if you do not, people will other incidents of public violence because they've got nothing to lose. And it, it also means that people start buying into the government. We've seen, we've seen the low turnout in the minister election, which had a dramatic and a large impact in terms of how the election results come out, mainly because people say, you know, you've got to get people to buy in. And it's very difficult to convince someone to buy into the society if they have no stake in it. They're, we've got matric results they just got announced. They didn't pass the trick. They're unemployable. They're starving. They have idle hands. In our current grant system, it means that from the age of 18 to 55, that's a full 40 years or 60, depending on who you are, hey. of no income or no possibility. I mean, who I guess a, a big part of the argument, Snesip, has always been to say, look, it's not that, and you know, it's not that we don't want the basic income grant, but the issue is that we can't necessarily afford it at this point. That, that's often but, the argument that's made. 
Okay, that's also a false argument as well. That yes, it's I like to call them. Um, that's also a false argument as well because it is when people look at affordability. Affordability in what context? So I, I, I always want to understand is what are we trying to um, afford? When we say what, what, why can't we afford it? So we need to ask ourselves, what is, and I, I'm an accountant, what is the cost of having 3 million people idle hands who then can cause significant infrastructural damage? Let's look, let's do some sums and, um, from the, um, the insurance guys, the looting that happened in July. If you do not have a basic income grant, these things will happen every annually. And we've seen the protest by various political parties because they're abusing mm. the situation because we've got national elections. There's been a phobic protest. I, I don't, they're not jobs, they're not uh, validation, but they're xenophobic. Let's call it what it is. Again, count that. Count the damage of that. Now, say again, you can't afford it. I always look at the yes. cost we yeah. I'm a very simple I mean the I'm cost not, of I'm, not doing so and I, and I get and I get <laughs> your the point you make I mean it's the cost socially and otherwise of not doing so cost yeah what does the cost and then these are things I can count I'm working on things that I can count there are other things that I can't count which is high alcoholism sexual violence violent crime all of these are systemic of idle hands Stable. Mm. Maskezi Shielena and uh, shift to the story of Juan Matepo More, former CFO of the Public Investment Corporation, um, the largest uh, investor on our local markets and I guess um, Africa's largest fund manager, just over $2 trillion in assets under management. She feels that uh, I guess the process that led to her dismissal was unfair and procedurally incorrect. Uh, but what do you make of this? And maybe for some of our listeners who are not familiar with the background to this and uh, how all of that came out in the Empathy Commission, maybe unpack that for us first. Um, so basically, during the Empathy Commission, she was found to be one of the executives thinkered in the, um, the AL, um, IOL, um, the Iqbal Service entities, as being one of the one of the signatories and parties. Now, there was, they held a commission, they did an investigation, there was a disciplinary commission, and she was on suspension for two and a half years. Understand that she was getting her full size for two and a half years. Now, this is very interesting. So in November last year, she gets dismissed, and PIC then began the process of appointing a new theater. Now, this is where the key is, which I read in the article just quite she claims that it was particularly unfair due to two things. First of all, uh, the chairman of the chairperson of the DC was well, they had a conflict she requested he or she recused themselves, they didn't. Second part, this is what I think is key. She said people also involved in this were allowed to keep their jobs and I'm curious to find out who. Some of so she said some people in the same similar similar Crimes were given, were not dismissed. So, were so who given, is he referring to in that case? I know, I'm not sure who she's referring to, but she said that. Yes, but I think, um, yes, like, because she, she's the one who got dismissed, and some other people got dismissed, but her argument is on the procedure of it all. So, she's arguing that there are people currently employed in the PIC. Because remember, we've had public commission. 
But there's also other things that happen within employer and employee relationship that we, the public, may not be completely aware of. We just know the ones that are, are reported. Her argument is that those who've done the same thing are still employed, they've gotten sanctioned. So she's arguing either or she's going to the CCMA for. I'm curious to find out if someone had done something similar, why are they still fully employed? So she's arguing fairness. So, like I said, I'm more curious to find out who. Hey. I'm like, who? I want to know who. Who is so important? Why haven't they been fired? What's the simple special? What if they must go to jail? What if they must be fired? That's my argument. Hey, sensible. So, yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm curious to find out from that perspective, but I do think that, yeah, so it's, um, so it's, uh, it's, um, it's, it's quite interesting, her argument. But like I said, I'm just curious to find out who is so employed. The other thing I'm quite interested in, uh, and if we are to shift from this particular story, I guess uh, things will unravel. Um, I, I don't anticipate this to be the end of it. I don't, I don't see Matsapo More uh, throwing in the towel uh, just at the CCMA, whatever outcome. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I guess uh, this is not the last time we're going to be talking about this one, Snesipo. But let's just talk briefly about scrap metal. Now, uh, yeah, uh, the um, one of the business papers leading with the story today of... Um, uh, association representing businesses involved in the collection and processing of scrap uh, who have now launched a court application to challenge the government uh, and I guess two particular regulations that have come through which is one the price, price preference point system which requires you to go and find a South African downstream player who you can sell your scrap to and then if you do decide even after that um, I guess uh, that you can't find a customer and you want to export your scrap uh, there's then a duty now the association is saying here yeah, this is an incidence of double tax now you've done a, a bit more tax than i have uh, as nesipo maybe talk us through this one and i guess your assessment of this one uh, for me it's either one or the other so i actually agree with the guys which guys so, the association the association i agree because i don't believe in the double taxation so but, you sort of mm. for me I, I think of the practicality of doing it mm. So let's say when I am now, let's see. Point takes scrap metal. Takes scrap metal. It says this thing is in the most nice exchange is that I need to both find someone in locally. Let's say you can't get I am in Joburg when I say Kapa, and you're the only person I can sell to. I must go to when and decide things I want to cap at a cheaper rate. Then if I want to things out overseas. I have to then add on another um, uh, tariff on that on that sale to discourage me from selling outside. But Snesipo, is the incidence of the tax the same? So, so I uh, mean, there's two there's two different. So, so hear me, hear me out. Hear me out. Wait, 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 wait. So there's two things that are happening here. Yeah. The first one says I've got scrap, and I've got two options. I sell it yes. in the export market. But there's a requirement before I go to the export market to find a South African downstream customer. If I can prove that the costs of taking that to Cape Town uh, are effectively don't make the exchange worth my while, then it's open to me, um, you know, to go on to the next step. So, so it doesn't mean I, I have to pay the price preference point system 
uh, if I can see that it's not going to be in my favor and I'd rather export it. Which then means yes. you'll only, I guess you'll only feel the export tax. You're not going to feel, because you, you don't necessarily sell it to that other person. No, so this is where I think we have to, the problem is that with both in mind, that's why I call it a double tax, is that, in that most guys who sell scrap metal, they go where the price point is or where the exchange rate is. So given a point in time during the financial period, it could be more incentive to me to go things out when they cap as opposed to going to a pressure because of where the exchange rate is I going see. and where the trading price okay. is going. Yeah. That's the problem. So you've got to do one or the other. That's what they actually say. You've got to do one or the other because they understand, and specifically that type of market, these guys are traders. If you, in the most basic sample, they literally are traders. But so double tax for, one, that's what I'm trying to understand. Like, how is it a double so tax? The reason why it's a double tax mm. is that because of who you're dealing with, the reason why they view it as a double tax, and this is why I agree in it, it says that it says that in January, things are when I In February, I'm like, okay, buy a picture because the rand is just doing the most. By the end, buy a picture. Mm. March again, the reason why I view double tax is because the amount of record keeping you'd have to do in order, if you have to also think about how they're going to reconcile the amount of work, it feels like a double tax because of the amount of work it ah, takes. So, so I get you, I get you. So you're saying the burden makes it feel like double tax, but the instruments yes. in and of themselves don't constitute a double tax. So it's not like you paying double tax via the policy instrument, but it's just the rigmarole associated with getting it done. Yes, because what the current structure is before they had both of these things was, you remember the preference was supposed to be phased out uh, was, was to be, we were supposed to follow one. What this one says, yeah, if you have one system, regardless of where you are, you literally have the option. But in Google record keeping and also the admin, I think when people don't think of, and also the type of players you need, and also in a given month, you could do both. But what they want is they want you to, they were like, we're going to make it, 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 I get the, the African need for it. I, I genuinely, Nashim, localization is my thing, mm. and I agree in principle. But sometimes we also need to think about what are we trying to achieve and the cost of trying to achieve what we're trying to achieve. Sure, sure. No, 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 I hear that, Nisip. And I think, uh, I mean, the point is well made that, you know, because a big part of, I guess, any tax is around ease of administration, not just for the person who has to pay the tax, but the person who's collecting it. Uh, and I yeah. think uh, I definitely get that part. Uh, but I do think, I mean, I agree with you that it, the intent of it makes a lot of sense. One, you have to secure some supply, um, you know, competing as you would with maybe in some cases higher valued export markets. You have to secure supply for your downstream industrial players for whom scrap is an input. Tick that box. I get that. And secondly, you want to then disincentivize people from thinking of just export as the first avenue to do it. And that's why I guess there's the obligation on going and, uh, you know, uh, looking for a South African customer. But I, my argument is that if you then decide you still want to export this stuff, then I guess the, the export tax has to ser- serve as a disincentive. Um, but I think the other element to this, Nesipo, that I, I'd love to hear your views on is how it then drives the downstream or upstream stripping of both private and public assets. Uh, because this is 
I mean, in my view, there's very little by way of differentiating some of the scrap we're talking about from the scrap that is then, uh, uh, or from many of the metal assets that are scrapped, uh, um, you know, in some of the uh, markets. You did say that a lot of this is about trade. Um, it's scrap dealers rather than people, I guess, who are making some of the steel. What is your sense of that? The role of, I guess, ease of export as a mechanism that's driving a lot of... Um, I guess, you know, upstream theft of uh, state steel assets and the like. Oh, of course it is. Of course it's driving the theft. Have you seen where the prices are sitting? Of course it's driving the theft. Like, I don't even want, I don't even want to lie. <laughs> we all know why. We all know why. So why are we running, guys? Why are we running like, away I don't know this why. I don't even know why people want to pretend. I don't even know why. I'm not yeah. even running from it. We all know why. Like, why we have cable theft, why we have copper theft, why, where does this all go? And these things are syndicates now because the value is in the billions now. You're talking, it's not, it's not some change, 100 grand, 200 grand, it's not even close to that. So that drives other nefarious activities as well. You know, when we start to see copper prices and other scrap prices skyrocket, we get scared. Because of what no, implication that's going to have on, on so many things. No, but the thing is that, again, why do we... That, for me, that level of theft is not necessarily tied to the basic income. That's criminality. I confuse it in the same way that group as drug dealing. Mm, <laughs> syndicates, <laughs> like, yeah. That's like criminality. Yeah. And it becomes sophisticated because it is profitable. Like, you can't even just deny it. Like, I'd be lying to you when if I say I wouldn't understand I do understand. Kenton Park was apparently in the dark this whole weekend because of this. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and that's the reality that we face under. Like, you can't please it enough. Stensipo, because it's not the last time we're going to be talking about it, just by virtue of how, how extensive uh, some of these activities are in many of our communities. I mean, it's not just, you know, ESCOM's infrastructure or Transnet's infrastructure. I mean, Try put up a light outside your home and see what happens. Um, you know, a light in a piping, your copper or whatever. Let me know how long uh, you'll be able to see that. Yeah, love to hear some of your thoughts and voice notes on uh, yeah how long you've been able uh, to uh, uh, have that outside before I guess asset stripper zefike. But a last one, yes, Nezipo. Um, what are the longest serving, you know, uh, central bank governors uh, passing on uh, in Uganda? Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I saw this image of this gentleman on uh, Tito Mboweni's uh, Twitter profile. I wasn't sure who it was, but I guess, yeah, we should have guessed. I mean, because he certainly sees himself very much as a central bank governor still. Uh, and that was the face of Emmanuel Tumusime Mutebile, uh, who has been a public servant in the East African nation of Uganda uh, since the 1970s. Uh, and having led the Bank of Uganda, they're the central bank for more than 20 years. Um, really sad that he's passed away. Still believe he was too old to do the job. He was in government for 50 years. Hey <laughs> and I guess, yeah, I don't know, but you're right. Like, like, you're right, is, though. Like, literally, right. that was what my stopping point was. I was mm. like, so you've been in public service for five decades. Look, let's welcome e-commitment and sacrifice. Ne? Yeah, okay. Yeah, we let's welcome. Let's, let's welcome, welcome that. Let's welcome but I think it, it goes back to the same question. You know, if, if you're there and you've had an innings of like more than 40 years in the public service. And as when Captain de la Bagne, full space, he really should have the public service. And the, and the reality is, and this is where the real 
tragedy is, if he had not passed away, he'd still be serving the next cycle. Yeah, yeah, no, no, his contract was already renewed. So, uh, so yeah, that's what that, yeah. no, I was like, you actually have no. to wait. So it tells you that the decisions of those currently in power, they're not going to be alive to implement or see some of their actions, which makes them very dangerous. So I'm against him being even governor. I was like, no, we do not Dala, speak ill. No, we do not speak no, ill of the department. retirement. Go join Tito. He must go cook for Tito. No. That's when he was so, so, so. It's a sad that he had to pass away at a hospital while still serving a stressful job. He should have been retired, hanging out with his grandchildren. We applaud his sacrifice. We applaud very well educated, very, very distinguished public career. Wish he retired 20 years ago. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Let us not speak ill of the departed. Uh, yeah, uh, Safari Tena uh, to the old man there, uh, uh, Professor Emmanuel Tumusime Mutebile. But uh, of course, yeah, we have to, I guess, also critically engage those legacies and uh, also learn what we might not want to emulate. Uh, and uh, also, I, I don't think as a governor, you should be sticking around for that long. But uh, yeah, uh, let's take this brief break now. On the other side, we speak to the Director General at the National Treasury about uh, the latest World Bank loan, 750 million US dollars, just uh, around 11 billion rand or so. And uh, he'll be telling us all about that after this.